Welcome to the Millionaire Next Door podcast with Robert Curtis, CFP, accredited investment fiduciary from Signature Estate and Investment Advisors. In this podcast, we help successful wealth accumulators like you looking to transition to a work optional lifestyle by helping you build strategies for growing and maintaining your wealth. Robert draws from years of experience and fiduciary responsibility and interviews guest experts to help you build reliable strategies to grow and maintain your wealth. Now, on to the show. Well, hello, everyone. Uh, Welcome back to the Millionaire Next Door podcast. We're in 2024, so happy new year to everyone. We had a little break in the action, but we've got a lot of exciting episodes. Uh, We just crossed 19,000 views, I'm told. So that's pretty cool. A lot of people are listening, getting a lot of value. Uh, Let us know what you think. Uh, Today, I've got a guest on the podcast who's joined us. He's a fellow professional. Uh, His name is David Mara of Markin Asset Management. Uh, They do portfolio management. I thought we'd have an interactive dialogue, hear a little bit about David's processes, what they're doing what they're emphasizing and wanted to share that with you. So welcome, David. Thank, thanks for being on the podcast. Hey, Robert, it's, um, I'm delighted to, to be here with you today. Yeah, great. Why don't you just launch right in and tell us a little bit about yourself, your firm, whatever you'd like us to know, and we'll, we'll get into the discussion. Yeah, sure. So uh, I guess I'll start with uh, my, my professional background. So I graduated grad school with a degree in finance from the University of Chicago back in the mid-90s. And then um, a few years out of Chicago, I founded a technology company, uh, an internet uh, search engine company. And for those of your listeners who might remember those days, it was the wild west of search engines. And maybe maybe we're on the verge of the wild west of search engines once again, it seems. Yeah. Um, but this was before Google kind of gobbled everybody else up. And, and that was the first time for me to really get involved um, with technology, you know, uh, building technology. And uh, it was a transformative experience for me. We had about 75 people building technology at that company. And it really introduced me to the transformative power of, of, of compute, of data, of algorithms. And after that venture, I got thinking about how could I bring together my background in finance and, in, and investment management with more data, more algorithms, deeper analysis via ZV compute. Uh, and in 2010, I founded uh, a quantitative investment research firm um, using machine learning and other algorithms and other just you know quantitative statistical methods. Uh, and we started building investment strategies for institutions at that firm. And after a few years of doing that, and we built up this great platform, this compute platform, this data platform, we said, you know, a lot of, we're adding a lot of value here on the investment management side. Maybe we should start managing our own portfolios for clients. And so in uh, three years ago, coming up on three years in a, in a month or so, my partner, Matt Kinzer and I founded Mark and asset management as a as a way not just bring research to institutions, but as a way to bring um, investment strategies to other advisors and their clients. 
Yeah. Well, that that's great. So interesting. You mentioned the early days that we have Earthlink right up. You remember Earthlink? So they're I like do. right in I our do. neighbor. And I still see people, you know, with uh, at Earthlink. I'm like, man, these folks are loyal. They've been there, and that's so. I don't know where they went to, but um, yeah, keep keep going. Talk a little bit about your process, what you're doing. Uh, we we went over a little bit. You talked about uh, capital preservation. That's obviously near and dear to everyone. I come across it. I've been doing this 26 years now with, you know, third and fourth generation clients. So I understand this well, but talk about your approach and how you're integrating that or, or keep going. Just tell us a little bit more about what you're doing and how, well, how maybe you're differentiating yourself. Yeah, sure. Robert capital preservation is important to a lot of people. And so I'll just take a second time to explain it. This is good to to kind of review for your listeners, capital preservation is important. And, you know, we can go back to, as an illustration of that, we can go back to just uh, the year before last, right? Markets, equities were not doing well and and bonds were, were, were not doing well. And uh, we had a year when the 60-40 portfolio, which most, you know, casual observers think of as a very safe portfolio, you know, down about 20%, uh, at its worst uh, point and ended the year down around 17%, 17, 17 and a half, depending on how you define 60, 40. And, and when markets go down, when people lose that much of their wealth, they often get scared and it changes their behavior. And, uh, you know, one of my, one of my lecturers at Chicago was uh, Richard Thaler, uh, won a Nobel prize for behavioral finance a number of years ago. And he's looked extensively at this, but, you know, when, when, you, you know, you, the last thing you want to do is to get out of what you're invested in right when it's at its nadir, right? Mm -hmm. You don't want to sell low and then buy high. Uh, that's not a way to, to compound wealth, nor is a way to have a retirement. But that's what happens when portfolios go down a lot. People's behavior and fear kicks in that maybe this could get worse for me and I don't want to lose more than 20% of my net worth that mm -hmm. I've saved my whole life for. So capital preservation is, is an important activity that we as asset managers do to try to make prevent that from happening so that people don't make bad decisions about their portfolio and don't uh, engage in those natural human biases that kick in like fear when things are down a lot. So capital preservation is about, in terms of you know how to do it, is about using a portfolio construction and risk management to try to first position a portfolio so that uh, things in it are not so well correlated with each other. So it's not going to mm -hmm. be down so much. So bonds and equities, you know, are not going to be, but you're in a year when it's down a lot and your correlations, both, you know, your bond and your equity are entirely correlated like it was two years ago. They're going yep. down together. How do you prevent that from happening? Portfolio construction is the first step, but the second step is risk management. Risk management is is a process of constantly looking at the risk exposures that your portfolio is taking and risk exposures of things that are not in your portfolio and constantly evaluating that and asking the question, is there something else that will still give me the, the return over the long-term that I'm expecting, but, but give me less risk? And risk management constantly evaluates what's in your portfolio, what's outside of your portfolio to try to then 
constantly update the portfolio so that uh, you can avoid those large drawdowns consistently. And that's, you know, you asked what, what differentiates this. One of the things that has historically differentiated us as a firm mm-hmm. is deep quantitative analysis into the risk exposures um, that we are and aren't taking. And then combining that with portfolio construction to update portfolios so that we're not in the bad risks at the worst at the worst time and thereby helping investors to avoid those large losses and and therefore have you know a, a, a much better income profile as a result of that. Right. Yeah, no, I completely understand. That's that's very part and parcel. And we work really intimately with folks. So we, and to be on the front lines, when you get these calls, you know, these concerns, these worries, these fears, uh, a lot of it's about pre-education and expectations and seeing who's suited for it. Over time, you may learn uh, when you go through these, some people aren't as well suited. And so you need to make adjustments uh, just because they're not set up for that environment for their own protection or we do get a lot of folks that call, you know, we have a perfectly laid out plan, but they need they need some funds for one reason or another. Happens every, you know, practically every day, all week. So we're, uh, we move on with it and we have a very structured process about how we do that at the time systematically. But but when you're taking those distributions, that's there's a thing called sequence of return that I'm sure you're very familiar with. You know, right now the markets are up, so we're we're letting folks know if you do let give us advance notice. And I literally mentioned that a, a few weeks ago on a podcast, and I had some clients say, "Hey, I I just I heard that on the podcast. So I wanted to give you some advance notice. You know, we're thinking about buying a new car, which is not cheap these days. You know, about six to nine months out. So I said, that's great to know. Maybe we can plan around that, but. Yeah, keep keep going on your I guess your process, whatever you, whatever thoughts you'd like to share with us. We'll so I think there. the I think the you know as you're alluding to Robert, the benefit of of capital preservation or minimizing exposure to large losses is that you end up with more income in retirement. And this this is something in the industry we refer to something like Monte Carlo simulation to to generate mm-hmm. these numbers, but for the person, you know, listening, um, what that is, is a simulation technique, a sampling technique, which allows us to build confidence intervals, right? Because different from compounding wealth, which is typically the pre-retirement activity, right? You're saving and hopefully Mm -hmm. you're getting a good, healthy return on those savings every year. That's compounding wealth. It's a very different mathematics of investment management for Um, for income in retirement. And the reason why is as follows. Confidence intervals, the, 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 the percentage of likelihood that you can take out a certain amount every month of your wealth becomes very, very important in retirement. And confidence intervals are not important in pre retirement. We just need to compound wealth at a higher rate relative to the risk preference of the person uh, who's investing to stay within the risk preference, get a high return for that risk. In retirement, income is about certainty, right? And pension funds know a lot about this. Mm-hmm. Uh, high net worth individuals who run family offices know a lot about this. And we know a lot about this, you and I, Robert, um, uh, dealing with uh, those parties as well and, and individuals, which is, you, you know, in retirement is an activity where every month 
uh, we're going to write a check to ourselves, a draw. And we not only need to be able to write every check, we need to be able to write every check with a high degree of certainty. And typically an advisor, you know, like yourself, Robert, you'll use a confidence of like with 90% confidence in your planning software uh, or with 85% confidence. Most mm -hmm. advisors I use use one of the two. And what that means is with 90% confidence, that means for nine years out of 10, I can write my usual check to myself. There still might be one year out of 10 that I'm not going to be able to write the usual check out of myself. But I would like to invest in something that 90% of the time I can write that check consistently to myself through a 30, 35 year retirement. That's what retirement is about. And in order to do so, order to deliver on that value proposition as an investment manager like myself, you absolutely have to control the losses you have. And that's why going back to a, a, you know the year a, 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 the year before last, when your portfolio is down twenty percent, you you rightly cannot write the usual the usual draw to yourself because in doing so, if you do that, you will impinge you're likely to impinge your future future income. So the most important that thing that I can deliver to somebody in retirement is to avoid that large drawdown altogether, and that's what. That's what all of our technology and quantitative mm -hmm. systems and all of that is about, is trying to produce that outcome for investors. Yeah, yeah, that, that's fair. And then obviously, 2022 was a really unusual year. Those losses, the big losses in, in the bond market with and the stock market and the fact that everything was correlated. And, we, you know, when you're down 20%, Presumably, you have to be up forty percent, roughly mathematically, to be back to even. Most so we we put a huge emphasis on that too. Having said that, though, I mean we've gone through those periods. They're rare. We've seen them. We prepare people to let them know. Sometimes they do come along. If you know, if and when say the Federal Reserve is going to raise rates eleven or twelve times in a very short period of time to combat rampant inflation, you know, by printing massive money after the COVID shutdown that, you know, and then the COVID that just changed. There was just nothing like it historically. So sometimes we can simulate these things, but sometimes we've lived through these periods. You know, I was doing this in, um, you know, the great financial crisis, right. You know, or 1998. So we've seen this and then we do have folks too that still do need to take that distribution, right? Maybe they're taking RMDs or this is their income. Because there are so we have to ride through that and know how to deal with it. It does come up, but it's a really guided thing. And um those can be scary, but we we call ourselves the noise canceling headphones. It's not that we ignore everything, but we try and give people perspective. And uh, it's not uncommon for clients to see things down in the face of fear and say, hey, maybe we should be getting our, you know, buying ready to go, you know, for people who can do that, have the dry powder. So there's a lot of nuances. It's just guidance through these things. It, it is really interesting to see how people handle it. Uh, institutions and whatnot, they're sophisticated. They have people who understand these cycles. Sometimes when it's your own portfolio, it, it's really it's really alarming. So, you know, folks who've been doing this 20, 25 years, they're used to seeing this. They understand this. They remember that. Folks who are somewhat newer, it, it can be a little shocking. So um, just just sharing some common thoughts, but really we're right on the front lines. You probably see it yourself. 
and you try and walk people through a very systematic process. And that's what we do. And we're focused. We don't really like to see things down much at all too, you know, cause we're, we're fee-based financial advisors here for, you know, but um, at any rate, we've seen most of the cycles. We'd never seen a COVID because that was a one-off with, with respect to shutting the economy, right? That was a really, you look back across the economists, they just can't give you any comparison to what that was like. But uh, okay, I'll let it go back to you. Keep <laughs> You go along and tell us a little bit more what, what your process and what you're thinking and We'll, we'll keep going here. Well, just uh, just on COVID, you're absolutely right. We we uh, we have to go back to I think 19, what is it, 1917, 1918, something like that for the last oh, pandemic. Right. Um, yeah. Um, yeah. And uh, so there's there and and there's just not many pandemic data points in the historical. There data. was a Spanish flu, or there was a horrible pa- that it wasn't even the fault of. I heard it was something else they got labeled with it, but. Uh, yeah, it's kind of hard to compare. That's that, right. I right? was referring to the Spanish flu, right? Yeah. Uh, but you're you're absolutely right, Robert. I mean, there's not much uh, data for pandemics, but I will say that um, crashes are common. Um, economists estimate that in any ten year period, there's a thirty three percent chance uh, that you will have a a two thousand seven uh, global financial crisis type of crash. So every ten years. If you think of that, every 10 years, there's um, a 30% chance of that. In a 30-year retirement, uh, you're almost guaranteed one. Right. Um, and that's why, uh, and that's why, you know, essentially going back to the what we were talking about, that's why capital preservation becomes so important and uh, avoiding the drawdown altogether, not being down. It's one thing, as you, as you talk about, Robert, and it's totally true to educate clients that, yeah, these things are do happen now and then. And, you, you know, if you hold on long enough, if you can, you're likely to come through it just fine. It's very hard to do in the moment. So that's why I say, at me as, a, as, a, as an asset manager, um, mm-hmm. what I can do for clients is avoid it. And that's what we helped, you know, clients do last year was to avoid a lot of that drawdown just to begin with. Um, and and that, that, again, playing through the mathematics of income, that means having that degree of certainty. Um, allows people to take out more income per year. You actually can generate right. more income from a fixed amount of assets if you can avoid those large drawdowns. Oh, 100%. Yeah. And it's really nice. It's satisfying to see them generate that income and, you know, and the independence or, you know, that that provides for the, them to live their lifestyles, you know, at the same, at the same token, though, we're always on the uh, lookout for these big events, right, that you talk about once every 10 years. I mean, we're, I think me and my team, we're pretty concerned about the the very large accumulation of, you know, debt, of borrowing, of printing of money, you know, of, of giant inflation, of it's getting, you know, we're, we're going to be okay for a while, but it's, it's starting to matter. So that's, that's a thing we're looking at closely. And, trying to keep cautious. We don't want to miss out on growth or income opportunities, but we always have to be watching that, um, you know, that capital preservation piece. And, and oddly enough, it, boy, in my experience, I don't know about yours, but these things that are these giant events that are, it's, you're always worried about something. It's usually something else that sort of, you know, blows up or goes wrong. That may, you know, there, there is something, but a lot of times it's really difficult to, to see with perfect clarity. So all, all these predictions about the future, 
I don't know. I'm not a huge, huge fan of, I kind of, that's why what you mentioned, the AI, the algorithms, the statistics, you know, watching buy and sell supply and demand, you know, the market's an awfully good predictor of the future. It's pretty darn smart, you know? So um, those are just some observations. Yeah. Markets are very efficient and um, prices. I mean, I I certainly believe, and I think there's a lot of evidence for that prices pretty much reflect uh, all of the information that we have available or most of the information that we have available at any point in time. And like you said, it's hard to, to, to get ahead of the market, but that's where just coming back to risk management, risk management mm-hmm. is not really about looking far ahead. Cause as you point out, you know, this is, we cannot make big predictions about what the S and P is going to do in a particular year, or what bond returns are going to do in a particular year. That stuff is very difficult. What risk management about is looking in real time, at mm-hmm. what the current situation is, and then figuring out, okay, what do I need to get out of my portfolio and what I need to get in, into my portfolio to minimize or to manage the risk exposures? I think I think something that a lot of individual investors have an impression of, maybe that what fund managers do is kind of akin to stock picking, right? They're trying to pick the winners, so to speak. And uh, that's not really how we look at it, and I, and I, I think dealing with a lot of institutions over the years, that's not how most institutions look at it. Um, there's always an element to uh, you want to pick the winners versus the losers. That's that goes without saying. But the image of that, you know, as fund managers, we sit around picking winners and and shorting losers is really not it. What we, what <laughs> right. we really do, and again, this is what our firm is about, but I, I, I generalize it more, is that. It's about examining your risk exposures, right? Mm -hmm. Return is a function of the risks you choose to take and the risks you choose not to take. And the key to risk management is to figure out which risks you want to be exposed to at a certain point in time, because that's consistent with your investment mandate, those outcomes we're looking for, compounding wealth, uh, providing Mm -hmm. income. And also then looking at what risk exposures we don't want to take. So as an example, if I look at late last year, um, we have a, you know, we have, for example, we maintain models for all our different asset classes. We have a huge bond model um, that consumes lots of data and is updated every day and gives us a position across durations about what we think um, the the attractiveness is and the risks are of each of the different durations from one year all the way up to 30 year. And, uh, you know, the bond model was telling us in late last year that the bond market was a little bit out of whack with the fundamentals, that bonds rates, so interest rates, in other words, were too high relative to the declining growth rate fundamentals we were seeing. Uh, So uh, that, that told us to get more into long duration bonds in the fourth quarter of, of last year. In other words, Mm-hmm. That was a risk exposure that we wanted to take, right? Because right. we saw that the fundamentals suggested that rates were going to come down, and indeed, you know, they did come down over that over that quarter, and and, uh, and and I mean that proved you know very very fortuitous for our investors. But it's about it's about constantly looking at 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 what what 
the different opportunity, the opportunity set that is out there in different things, different pockets of equity, different pockets of bond, also in different strategies at our firm. Uh, we do shorting in our hedge fund. Uh, and then, you know, we invest in commodities and in, in, in some, some of our strategies. So we're looking across these asset classes and constantly evaluating what's safe to get into and then, and what's going to deliver that expected return. That's, that's kind of the process, Robert. Right. I understand. Yeah. And the process is so important. And, you know, in my, I mean, we're looking at the fundamental factors. We have looked at a lot of momentum or relative strength. That's I've, I've explained in a, in a relatively simple way to clients where they really get, you know, one is about the valuation. The other is, is also about the timing and maybe marrying those two up, sort of like playing the piano with both hands. And you talk about us picking winners or, you know, some, we do see what does really well and, and we can see sometimes what might be the losers and trying to avoid those. So there can be a pretty big nuance differentiation over time. If you're just constantly, running it through the process. And I, I never seek to be amazed how, you know, when I look across all these portfolios, it could be one or two things that could, you see the Apple in people's accounts, you know, or NVIDIA or just what they put in and what it's worth. And you could have a bunch of sort of Midland performers, but there could be one or two just drivers of, you know, massive outperformance. And you don't need that many of those. And it's just, it's mind blowing. But Hey, before I, um, as we start to kind of wrap up, because there's a lot of process going on, I I want to get your take. I know you have spent a lot of space sort of in artificial intelligence, algorithms. That's a huge topic du jour because it feels like we're at a really interesting point in history. It's been around for a long time, but now it's being used. I'm using it in my process, you know, to a number of ways that I never thought for time savings, you know, I'm looking at data coming off my watch, my ring for sleep for all, you know, I'm measuring my HRV, like every single day, heart rate, very, you know, it's, it's amazing. So I, I'm curious your thoughts. And then, you know, there's a plus side, a minus side, you know, robots are taken over the world. I was reading where they had an art competition, a global one, and they, people submitted all this thing. And I think the an AI driven thing won the competition, which is a little, little freaky to think that something with no emotion or human personality would win an art contest. But um, that's a long segue. Give me, let me know a bit about your thoughts of where we're going or how you're using it, or just uh, I'll leave it open to your, your comment on this. So I I think we're going to, as you pointed out, we've been hearing about machine learning and artificial intelligence now for a while. Last year with chat GPT, generative artificial intelligence came along. I've been involved with it, you know, as I talked previously um, in developing these algorithms, coding these, I'm a coder, coding them, and of course, using them. I've also been involved because I was a management consultant for quite a number of years um, before getting into finance that, you know, back in my management consulting days, you know, part of what I did was build uh, machine learning and other statistical systems and implement them in companies to help them do all, all kinds of things more efficiently and more effectively. And I can say from that experience, that was very, very difficult work to do 10 years ago. It was not easy to implement these models in company processes 10 years ago. Um, Companies didn't have the right data sets. 
They had to build them from scratch, cobble them together from their global operations. Then you had to build models and the models were very finicky. You had to have armies of data scientists to program them and maintain them. Generative AI is a very, very different technology because of uh, the fundamental models that they build them off of, which has sort of sucked up everything on the internet and 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 it's sort of sitting there waiting to be tapped. That means that a company can now just add its own data set on top of these fundamental models and fit what they call foundational models and um, and really get going very, very quickly. So this technology, in my opinion, is a very, very different wave of AI than we've seen before. And I actually blogged recently on our company website about the implications of generative AI for global growth rates and um, looking at what some Niebuhr, Niebuhr National Bureau of Economic Research economists mm -hmm. uh, have, have looked at in terms of what their impact is going to be on global growth rates. I would say based on what the economists are saying and my own experience now seeing how much easier this generation of AI is to implement in businesses, that we're sitting at a point in time which is probably similar to the kickoff of the Industrial Revolution. So the Industrial Revolution was a period when global growth rates were extraordinarily low prior to it. We get to something like 1847 when they call it the, se the second Industrial Revolution, but economists do, but that's that's when they date it. And, mm -hmm. and all of a sudden global growth rates take off. Uh, it's literally the, the hockey stick type of image. I think we're at another point where this technology is going to kick global growth rates into much higher gear because it can have such a profound and large impact on productivity and therefore margins and margin expansion and earnings in a very short time um, with relatively little effort. So I'm, I'm very bullish on it as a tool. Uh, we're actually offering an investment strategy that allows investors to invest in the next wave of AI beneficiaries. So that means companies, not just in tech, but in all sectors mm -hmm. who are going to benefit from using this in their business processes. But I, more broadly, I think that this is a technology that's here to stay. It's going to have long legs. It's going to move at Moore's law, along Moore's law, which means every two years, it's going to double in terms of its capabilities. And I think so. So I think there's very, very profound, not all positive, because it's going to involve a lot of disruption. Any form of automation uh, involves a lot of disruption to jobs and things of that nature. But uh, so I think I think it'll have very profound implications uh, from an economic point of view and from an investor point of view. I think, however, as you were pointing out with the example of of the 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 computer generating art yeah. and then winning a contest, I'm not sure that. I'm not sure that we really want to go there as a society, right? I think I think there are profound questions about AI. You know, it's you know, uh, it's not just a form of automation like a railroad is to get you from place point A to point B a lot quicker. You know, it's a form of automation which does a lot of the work that has happened in the human mind to date, and yeah. machines have not been able to do it. Um, I think as a society, we need to start to think about that and think about. Uh, where we want to sort of draw the boundaries about what we want AI to actually do and not do for us, because it could certainly do things for us that maybe we are not going to make us happier and more fulfilled as as, right. as human beings.
Yeah, I think that is the concern. It's moving so fast, you know, but our ability to process it or understand it, there, there's things that are amazing. What I heard something from a really credible podcast, I forget where it was, but the the human brain or some, one of them is like processing speed is maybe 10 to the 16th of something, but the AI is at 10 to the 14th, but it's moving so fast it's going to overtake that, you know, when you hear all kinds of crazy things, uh, like even versus physicians, they say their, their bedside manner of some of this AI is actually better. So some of the, you know, it's just, I think you're right. How we're going to handle it concerns a lot of folks. I do know, I just came from a conference. They were showing corporate profits. I mean, they are at record highs and they just keep growing. So there are enormous efficiencies. I'm, I'm, positive on it but i don't fully understand it and the speed with which it's moving it might be moving faster than the moore's law right possibly that's uh but it's it's Moore's. yeah any rate it, it's it's a really interesting period of history so um maybe we'll start to kind of land the plane on the discussion for today uh given the timing but any other really big points salient points anything you'd like to close or leave us with or thoughts i really appreciate you coming on so um yeah please please share anything else you'd like to share with us no robert i think we we, we covered an incredible amount of ground in a short period of time so uh, uh i don't think uh you know if you have something else i'd happy to answer it no nothing much i mean i i do love that maybe i'll have you back on we could talk some more about ai and where that's going because i think it is I loved your analogy or comparison to the industrial revolution or where, when things take off or hit a tipping point, it feels like we're there. We don't know how to understand it, but it's a little, it's a little scary too, what it means. And then the link to your happiness or fulfillment, you know, that those could be very disconnected. So we're trying to, we're trying to utilize all those factors, but I really appreciate you coming on. It's been terrific meeting you. Um, we can put some links in the show notes. If there's anything you'd like us to include, let us know. And um, really appreciate it. And have a great day and happy new year to everyone. We'll probably release this in, uh, you know, sometime around February of 2024. We're recording it uh, mid to late January. But I appreciate it, David. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for having me on. It was a pleasure. Yeah. My pleasure. Yep. Have a great day, everyone. Thanks. Thank you for listening to the Millionaire Next Door podcast. Click the subscribe button below to be notified when new episodes become available. The information covered and posted represents the views and opinions of the guest and does not necessarily represent the views or opinions of Signature Estate and Investment Advisors. Signature Estate and Investment Advisors, LLC, SEIA, is an SEC-registered investment advisor. However, such registration does not imply a certain level of skill or training and no inference to the contrary should be made. Securities offered through Signature Estate Securities, Inc., member FINRA SIPC. Investment advisory services offered through SEIA LLC, 2121 Avenue of the Stars, Suite 1600, Los Angeles, California, 90067. Telephone number 310-712-2323.